people often ask me where they can attend a same-side selling immersion program, and usually I don't offer them publicly. But I do have them coming up on March 31st in Dallas. The one in Scottsdale for February 28th is already sold out, but March 31st in Dallas. So visit ianaltman.com for more details. I hope to see you there. Make sure your seatbelts are on because with us this week is Tamson Webster, and she is absolutely brilliant. She's part idea whisperer, part message strategist, and part presentation coach. In fact, she's the executive producer of TEDx Cambridge, which happens to be one of the oldest and largely locally organized TED Talk events in the world. Um, she's worked with some of the largest brands. Household names like Johnson Johnson, Verizon, State Street Bank, Ericsson, and Disney to find and communicate the power of their ideas. And today we're specifically going to talk about change and how do we get people to embrace change and how do we affect change in our organizations. And keep in mind, we could be trying to change the minds for our customers, for sales reps, for people on our team, or for, candidly, people in our personal lives. You're going to learn a ton and get amazing insight from Tamson Webster. Tamson, welcome to the program. I'm so excited to be here, Ian. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you here because I am just gearing up for learning a ton from you because every time I speak with you, I get this wealth of knowledge and think to myself, she is so darn smart. <laughs> well, as I like to say, I overthink so you don't have to. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's something surprising that people may not know about you? Hmm. Well, I do keep a lot of things hidden. But I, you know, I think that a lot of people don't know that where I learned the most during my college years was as the box office girl at the nightclubs on Lansdowne Street, which was the, the big street for the dance clubs in Boston at the time I was going to college in the early and work hard, play hard 90s. But I got to tell you, all my best friends from college are still from there, not from actually people I went to college with. Wow. And so so you said the biggest have you learned. So what did you learn in those places? You know, it's funny. I, the things I learned are really, really true human things like that people, people are who they are by what they do, not necessarily what they say. Uh, the second thing I would say is that some of the smartest people I've ever known never went to college or didn't even finish high school in certain cases. Um, but third, what explains all of that is that people who understand people are the most successful people in the world, no matter what they do. And I learned all of that at Bill's Bar. <laughs> that's that's great insight. So so any anybody who has a child that says, no, no, mom or dad, I'm going to go get this job at this bar. And you think, I don't think it's a good idea. Tamsin, who's one of the smartest people I know, that's where she got all of her training. That The, the college stuff was just like trivial, but that's where the real learning happened. Well, you know, with all the work that I do with people now, I say like anything that I did that has taught me about people has been really, really valuable. But it also showed me that you know, and I do think it's important for college kids to learn that 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 not everybody in the world are like the people that you went to high school with or like the people that you're in college with. Like you need to see a much, much broader range of perspectives and ideas and backgrounds and thoughts. And 
you see that better and broader perspective, you have a much, much different understanding of the world. And I think that's particularly if you're marketing and business and sales, as I was training myself to be, that was incredibly valuable to me. Yeah, it's interesting. We're having that discussion with our daughter as she's looking at different universities and she's a phenomenal student. And so naturally she's, well, I want to go to this school because everyone there is like super, super smart. And we said, yeah, but unfortunately, and this is tough for her to hear as a 17-year-old, unfortunately in life, you're going to find that not everybody (laughs) that you interact with is going to have that same passion and zeal for learning that you do and those other people might. So you might actually be be better served in an environment where not everybody is just like you. Absolutely. But but there's nothing, honestly, there's nothing like a bar that caters to college students to teach you really quickly. What are also some of the big mistakes you could avoid? (laughs) (laughs) So there was no better deterrent to me drinking in college than working at a bar. I got to tell you. That's and, funny. and I had, you know, because I worked in the bars and the clubs, I had access to any bar or club that I wanted to. And you know, I didn't turn 21 until February of my senior year of college, but I had access to all of it ahead of time. But I was like, no, thank you, because I have seen what people look like. <laughs> and what they do when they've had too much. So it was perfect. So I just sat in the box office at night, like studied for my econ exams the next day. And then, you know, I'd, I'd turn around and go do that. So I That's still don't awesome. know how I did it because I worked like 20 hours a week there. and But I, I was also working 20 hours a week at uh, a local museum because I wanted at the time to be to, to, to grow up and run a museum someday. So I still don't really know how I did it, but somehow I did. And, and yet it all worked out. And, and it all worked out. So, so though we could certainly stay on this topic forever, I want to, I want to dive, I want to dive into the stuff that, cause I guarantee people are like, oh, that's really interesting stuff. But I want to get to the stuff that's going to make a big change for our listeners. And part of it is this gift and expertise you have in helping organizations manage their change. And what I mean is that, I don't care whether an organization is trying to change the minds of their customers, of their sales reps or employees, of people on their teams, but we always see some groups that, man, just time and time again, they come up with an idea and they convey it in a way that gets everybody moving in the same direction. And then there are other organizations, not so much. Yeah. Um, so what what do you see as the biggest mistake or biggest pitfall or trap that people fall into that prevents them from making those changes happen? Well, one of the first things we have to look at is is the fact that change is this universal thing. And I think that a lot of times we're looking at change as this barrier that has to be overcome or this thing that we just have to, you know, that phrase, the only constant is change and all this other stuff. And it's set out there like it's this big huge monolithic thing, monolithic thing that we have to figure out. And, and I don't, I don't frankly believe that that's the case. And I think the reason why it becomes such a baffling thing for people is that we, that we look at change as the thing that we're trying to accomplish when in fact change is the result of something, you know, change isn't the, the means it's the end, which means we have to back up and we have to say, well, if change is the end, what produces change? And this is the thing I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out. So I, I joke that I had a brief but enduring turn as a change management consultant coming out of business school uh, in, in the late 90s. And uh, it, it really it really affected the way that I looked at everything else that I 
did afterwards because I was trying to figure out like what is it that makes a merger and acquisition successful or why is it that so many cultural reorganizations fail? What's going on here? And it took me years and in fact not the traditional methods to discover that we were really missing something when it came to change and that is that there's this thing that precedes change is meaning Meaning is like the Trojan horse of change. Like the only way you get change to happen is if you make it make sense to people first. Now, I know you say that and be like, well, that's kind of obvious. But if you think about it, it really isn't when we come down to how we try to change people's minds. We just try to explain it. We try to describe it. We try to tell you what the benefits are. But we don't connect it to what it is that really is how each of us as humans make a decision to change what we think or change what we do. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what that is and trying to make it easy for companies to figure out how to make things make sense internally so they can make things make sense externally and therefore make the change happen. So can you give me an example? I want to make sure that people capture this in a way that they say, ah, I get it. So give me an example of... Uh, and, and you know, pick your pick your favorite change example of kind of the way people traditionally might look at it versus how when you inject meaning into it, it's going to sound or come across differently. So I'm going to give you a super simple example, and then we can try to extrapolate that into a business example afterwards. But let me start with a human example, and the the typical approach to change and let's look at it from a uh, from a market perspective is that we want uh, we want our audience we want our customers or we want our prospects to adopt our solution you know we've we're selling something we want to adopt their solution now in the worst case scenario we just tell people about the solution so let's look at that from a human example let's say for instance that you're going into your doctor for a regular checkup and you walk in and the first thing your doctor says to you is hey when do you want to schedule your C-section? And you're thinking to your doctor, uh, I'm Ian Altman. I, A, I'm not pregnant. And B, I am not female. And yet that's exactly what we try to do for people. We just say, hey, I've got, the, I've got this great surgery for you. It's the best possible surgery. We're the best surgeons. Hey, buy my surgery. But you're looking at it like, well, why would that even remotely make sense? And it doesn't. Now, we can back up and say, well, okay, well, we've got the answer to this. We just need to make sure that we connect it to a problem that people have. As long as we have a problem, now it's all going to make sense for people. So let's let's revisit the doctor's office. So let's say you go to the doctor's office and routine checkup again, and the doctor stands behind you and says, Ian, you've got a spot on your back. And you're like, oh, okay. And then she says, when do you want to schedule surgery? Now, that's the equivalent of problem solution and which is what we most of the time do when we're whether it's a market message or a sales message or when we're just trying to say hey we're taking this company in a new direction this is the reason you know here's the problem and so this is why we're doing it or this is the thing that we're doing but you're probably sitting there going wait a minute i've got some questions about this spot on my back um and that's because we need more information. We need something meaningful in between. And so in the case of a doctor's office, this is the diagnosis. You need to you know, need to know what kind of spot is it? Because if it's lint, then the treatment, the solution is to brush it off. And if the surgery will be much shorter. <laughs> the surgery won't <laughs> exist. Exactly. You know, but if it's something else, well, then that's the thing that makes sense. Yeah. And so 
I explain it to people because it's, you know, when I say to people, there's always something between the problem and the solution that has to be there. People are like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, no, no, no. Well, think about it this way. And they're like, well, of course I need to know why that problem is such a problem before I understand, you know, and why you think that problem is such a problem before I'm going to understand why you think this particular solution is the one that's going to matter. So let's, let's extrapolate it out to, to, to some businesses and, and, and look at it from the perspective of still using those three things of problem, idea, solution, or problem, idea, change, you know, all the different ways that companies can approach this, that, that kind of combination of making things make sense to people and look at how it changes dramatically what happens as a result. Well, before you do that, yeah. let me just let me just comment something because I know my audience is thinking, "Hey, cool! This sounds a lot like issue impact importance." So the, there's a concept that I teach, and I just want to tie it together because sure. it's going to make sense for them. Which is, and it's funny because as you were first describing it, I was thinking, "Wow, this is going to be totally different." And then I'm I'm thrilled at like the commonality on on what I teach on the sales side, which is. There's an exercise I do with executives on how they make decisions, and I run them through this exercise. I've done this with over 10,000 CEOs and executives around the world, and I give them a scenario that puts them in a situation to evaluate a purchase decision that one of their employees is coming to them to make. So the employee says, we have to get this Gazertenblatt. It costs (laughs) $20,000, but we need it. And so what questions do you have to have answered to be comfortable making an excuse me, an informed decision and either approve or deny it. And I I break people into groups to do this exercise. And at the end of it, no matter where geographically people are located, no matter whether it's a half million dollar company or a multi-billion dollar multinational, it's the same questions, which is that what they want to know is what problem does this solve and why do I need it? Yeah. And then what's the likely outcome or result? So, the and it doesn't always come out in those exact words, but the what problems it solve and why do I need it always go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Because if if you know what the problem is, but you don't understand why you need it, then you may not buy into the change, if you will, that yeah. um, that that's going on. But once you understand why you need it, you say, "Oh, well, now it starts making some sense." And then your mind immediately, after you understand why you need it, you think. But if I do this, what's the likely result that I'm going to get? Because I don't trust that slimy salesperson who said this is what we'll get. So I want to get references. I want to hear from other people. I want to be comfortable that there's a reasonable expectation of getting the outcomes that that they are claiming I'm going to get, which ties perfectly to these three levels of first, hey, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Second one, oh, here's this problem. Now let me show you our stuff. Two – Here's this problem and here's the consequence of that problem that makes it a serious condition worth treating. Now that we know that, good news, I have treatment for that. Right. And that and that not only makes it worth treating, but is now identifies the specific nature of that problem, which dictates a very specific approach, which happens to be ours. And that's where it becomes really important for when you're trying to think through, hey, there's this change that I need to have happen. What are those pieces? So what I love about your questions is that that they they map very closely to mine because I I I associate this or I, I explain it a lot of times as Mad Libs for meaning. 
In other words, we need we need things to be meaningful in order for us to make a different decision than what we're doing right now. Um, and that's critically important because if things don't make any sense to us, then we're not going to move off of status quo, like homeostasis, the desire to be the same is the most powerful force in the universe. <laughs> and so you've got to give people a reason to move off. And we all know from being a business that features and benefits aren't enough. So how do we make it how do we make that make sense? Well, this Mad Libs thing comes into play for this reason, that just like you've discovered from your research, that they're the story that we have to hear before we will decide to change our thinking or behavior is the same. It's always the same. It's what is this going to get me? Why am I not getting it right now? What do I really have to understand about it that's different than what I have right now? What solution are you offering me? How do I get that solution? Now prove to me that that circles back to that original goal. It happens the same way every time. And so that's like a Mad Lib, where if you remember this from your kids, like it's a, it's a story that's pre-written, but these holes, there's these blanks for you know noun, verb, adjective, et cetera. But when it comes to how people make meaning of things, the story is written. They're looking for that same thing. What is this going to get me? What's the problem? What do I have to understand now? What change do I need to make? How do I make that change? But what's different, organization to organization, person to person, is what we put in those blanks. Those blanks are labeled. And so, you know, you've got your questions that's similar to me. I, I'll sit down with a with a with an organization, you know, and let's say they're trying, you know, if it's a startup or it's an entrepreneur or, or you know, it's an internal project. They're trying to get funding for it. And, and I'll ask them a series of questions. And they're these. The first one is, what is it that the person that you're talking to, what is it that they want that this will help them get? Not what's your goal for this particular interaction, for this particular change, this particular project. What's their goal? What do they want? Are they looking for a better way to solve, you know, uh, efficiencies in their reporting? Are they looking for how to differentiate themselves in the marketplace? Like, what do they say they want? So that's the goal. That's the first thing. Okay. Then the second question I ask, it's very similar, which is now what's your perspective about the underlying reason why they're not getting that goal? That's what we're going to refer to as the problem. This is the second blank in that story. Okay. So the first one is what's the audience's goal or the customer's goal or your, you know, whoever you're talking to's goal. Second one, what's the problem? So then now, remember, we have to put something in between it and the change. So what's the idea? So what is that diagnosis of the problem? What is the belief that, that you uh, are basing all of this on? What's the realization? What is this assumption that's very core to you about why the problem is such a problem, why the change you're recommending is the change? So that's the idea. Okay. So a lot of times in a pitch perspective, you say, well, you know, we all know that we want um, to improve our ability to deliver on, you know, our department's mission. You know, let's say our we've got this particular mission for the company and we have all these barriers that we know about. But from our perspective and the research and the data we've just shown you, the real problem is that we are focusing on the infrastructure that's housing our data and not on our ability to manipulate the data itself. Let's say this is so this is a case that you're making. Now, why is that so important? You'd say, what's the idea? Well, because the information is independent of the infrastructure at heart. 
Okay. Oh, okay. Now that may not be world changing, but it dictates why now the fourth question, which is what's the high level change you want people to make? Say, what we need to do is find a way to manipulate the in the information independent of infrastructure. Right. So, okay, great. Well, how do we do that? Well, maybe this is you making a case for moving your stuff to the cloud. Well, we could go with you know, salesforce.com, for instance, and now if we put our stuff up, up into the cloud, we can be pretty much infrastructure agnostic, but still get the efficiency of data reporting that we we're trying to get in the first place. So these five pieces are audience goal. What's the thing that they re- readily want? What's yep. the underlying problem, the barrier? What's this idea, this belief, this assumption, this value that explains both why the problem is such a problem and why the change, which is the fourth thing, is the change that needs to happen. So the change. And then finally, the fifth thing is, what are the details of that? What are the actions? So problem, goal, problem, idea, change, action. If I can sit down and get someone to answer those five questions cleanly, then we can fill in the Mad Lib, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. And and so I love the, I love the structure of this. Because then it gives people a framework. It's funny because there are certain concepts that, I, that I've that i talked about for years that once I put them into a structure, people said, oh, I can implement and follow that. And it all made sense to me before. But once I could put it into a structure like this, then it actually made sense to the people trying to implement it also. Yes. <clears throat> Because this pattern of how we make meaning is universal. I mean, we yep. all have this, you know, we all have this red thread. It's, it's a phrase I like to use. Um, the Scandinavians use it to say, what's the thing that ties all this together? What's the thing that makes this make sense? And so, you know, we all have this. We all have this filter for how we make things make sense. Every company has one, every, or actually multiple ones. Every person has, you know, these red threads that run through us, the, the ways that we make sense of the world. But because that Mad Lib is shared, when we communicate to other people using that same framework, it automatically makes sense because what we're doing is rather than letting, you know, rather than you know, leaving it up to chance of how they're going to fill in the blanks, you start to say, well, here's how I'm filling in the blanks. And then your job as a communicator, as a leader is to make sure that you're making the case that those are in fact the right ways to fill in the blanks. Yep. So it kind of kills it kills multiple birds with one stone. Like back to my original statement, I overthink so you don't have to. All this came from, <laughs> you know, the idea of like how could I quickly and easily help business people refine a brand or a message or a product idea or a pitch quickly. Like how could we make sure quickly that it was we you know, that we that it made sense both intellectually and intuitively. And at the same time, have those same steps be the basis for how you communicated it, and yep. and and this and it and it works regularly and well, which I'm I'm happy about, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now I want to I want to throw something out there and and see what you think, which is in in my experience in dealing with organizations, what what I find for my clients, it may not be the same for yours, is that that idea part. In essence, the you know the the big idea part or the underlying reason behind this tends to be the most compelling for change if it ties back to share. And what I mean by that is either market share, mind share, or share price. 
So depending on the organization, if we said, well, and, and if we don't solve this, here's what happens, they may or may not – you may or may not get everybody on board. But if people can see the connection between that and one of those share themes, then it's a, you have a much easier time getting people on board in a business setting when they say, oh, yeah, that's, that's ultimately our goal is to gain mind share or market share or grow our share price. Yeah, it's it, the thing. Yeah, it's we make. I think we make business a lot harder than it needs to be. And and I'd, I'd like to think that in in business and in change, that easy is the new hard, because there are these universal themes. I mean, you can sometimes people say to me, "Well, how do I know for sure what the goal is walking in?" But you just named it. There are universal ones, and. Absent any other information, you can say, well, generally, people are going to want to know, how is this going to make them make more money or spend less money than they need to or stand out and and yeah. and win more of the hearts and minds of the market that they're going for? You could start there. And you can also pull in all the other information that you know about, well, what are the questions that people mostly ask when you come to them and say – hey, we're going to start divesting ourselves of this product line. You know, one of the first questions is going to be like, well, what does that mean for me? Which means you're you're not going to start this conversation with, so the reason why we think it's a great idea and it makes sense for the business to divest this product line is you need to start it from a different perspective, from the perspective of the person you're talking to who's about to say, well, what's happening to my job? So you say you're going to start that conversation with, now, I know you're always wondering, like, what's the future of my work look like here? And the problem is that this is these are decisions that happen without your knowledge all the time. So that's the problem statement. Um, and well, ultimately, when it comes down to this situation we're doing right now with this product line, is that we discovered that you know we were actually making your job less stable by sustaining it, right? That's the idea. So ultimately what we're going to do is we're going to disable, you know, we're going to divest ourselves of this product line. And, and though, what we're going to do is this other thing instead to make sure that we are sustained, you know, keeping the stability, the stability of your job. So in, in essence, it's, it's taking the thing that you want to say and framing it from the perspective of, okay, I know it makes sense to me because of all these reasons. How is it going to make most sense to that person? And that's why we actually always start with what's the audience's goal? What's the what's the goal of the person that you're talking to? Because if you start there, you'll avoid the – I'd be curious if you agree with this. Like one of the top mistakes that we make in business is that we forget to talk about things from the perspective of the people that we're talking to. Oh, yeah. In fact, I, I refer to that as axis displacement disorder. <laughs> and so <laughs> – Access displacement disorder is when you, when you, as the person delivering information, somehow believe that the Earth's axis has shifted. It now goes in your head, out your rear, and the world revolves around you. That's awesome. So when you, when you suffer from access displacement disorder, you see everything from your perspective and not your client's yeah. perspective. And the thing that I love about this model is that it's not, well, what's the goal? It's... What's the audience's goal? So I I love how in that example with an employee, so if I'm trying to get my employees bought into something and I say, look, uh, we're going to divest this product, the employee's thinking, oh, man, I'm out of a job. But so, man, if I know that's their perspective and the first thing I say is, look, we've been messing up and 
actually, we've been putting your jobs at, at risk because we've had this product that isn't doing well. And if we keep pouring money into it, then we're not going to be able to invest in other areas um, because we're going to be wasting too much money here. So we're going to get rid of that. And then we can use all this talent that we have in the organization that's right now doing that that our customers don't seem to care about. And instead, we can focus everybody in this other area that's really exciting that's going to grow the business. And right. and the employee thinks, wow, that's great news. <laughs> As opposed yeah. to, hey, by the way, we're getting rid of your division, but don't worry. I'm sure things will work out for you. Hmm. Yeah. And and here's an important caveat for me personally. And it's 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 a thing that I held true to through all my years in in marketing and branding with business, which is these these things that we talk about when it comes to framing they really should you be used only for good. <laughs> um, and there are times when I, you know, if I could, if I could in spirit have your whole audience like raise the right hand and swear to me that you use these things only for good. Um, it's important because this isn't just, this is not in any way about manipulating people to your point of view. It's about making your reasoning for something as clear as possible in language that's going to be as clear as possible to them so that the meaning that you have transfers frictionlessly to them. Here's the thing. They get to decide whether or not they agree. Your job is only to get it over to them as cleanly and clearly as possible. And they get to decide whether or not they agree. Yeah, I I, I always say that anytime you're selling something, including an idea – your goal is not to persuade or cajole. Your goal is to get to the truth as quickly as possible. So if it turns out that your change is not good news for that person, then it's in your best interest and theirs to find that out very quickly. Correct. And if it is in their best interest, they should find that out too. Um, it's, it's, it's so funny, the, the parallels, because I, I often describe when I'm talking about the concepts in same-side selling – I say, look, this is like the force. It can be used for good or evil. And remember, if you get swayed by the dark side, then in episode three, you end up burning and being, you know, burnt to a crisp on the side of a hill. And that's not a good outcome for you. (laughs) Correct. So, you know, it's just making sure that people understand the perils of this because you could use this and invariably in, in my workshops, there's usually someone who is in their – and it doesn't have to be, but it tends to be somebody in their 20s who – it's usually a, a single man or woman, most typically single male, who goes, wait, I can use these same concepts for dating. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just settle down. We're talking about business right now. But if it's with integrity, then yes, you can use the same principles for dating. But – you know, there's always a devious smirk on their face when they suggest that, which makes me a little nervous. Yeah. A- anybody who's been a great communicator and you, you can see examples or leaders of change, period, uh, the best ones and the most evil ones use many of the same tactics. And honestly, what it comes down to is intent. Here is both where my hope and my warning to people comes from, is that we as humans are so wired to spot and assess intent that you can't ever fake it for long. Uh, And that's an important thing because there are so many things that we do that we send out what are called honest signals about ourselves. 
There are things that we cannot control. The pitch of our voice, the pace of our voice, um, the, the, I mean, people take it to extreme about like, did you blink too much and therefore you're lying? I mean, but there's these other things where uh, the research, recent research has shown that that uh, you can detect uh, specific emotions send out different radio waves from us. And our bodies all pick these things up, which means you may be slick and you maybe you may, if your intent isn't good, you may get it to work for a little while. But over time, you know, the truth will out to, exactly. to pull Shakespeare on you. <laughs> So, and you know what? I, I want to leave it at that. What's I, I guarantee there's people trying to like recap all this, which I will do my best to do, um, as everyone knows, at the at the end of our episode. But for everybody who I guarantee is dying to say, man, how do I learn more and how do I follow Tamsin? What's the best way for people to find you online? Uh, best place to find me centralized is at TamsinWebster.com. So there's a, a, particularly my blog where I do a, a weekly show that I just started up on this idea of this universal meaning that I call the red thread, uh, how to use it, how to apply it. And uh, anything else you may want to know is probably there too. Excellent. And of course, we will include all this in the show notes. So Tamsin, as always, every time I speak with you, I learn something amazing, and this was no exception. So thank you so much, and we will definitely have to have you back because um, there's just you have so much to share, and uh, I can't wait for people to hear more of it. Oh, thanks, Ian. Happy to come back. Tamsin is absolutely brilliant, and I'm just thrilled to have had her on. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key takeaways I think you can use in this episode. Now, first, I just want to thank people who subscribe and share this with others. really makes a huge difference. And just thank you for taking the time to do that. So the key takeaways are, I just want to get back to this whole Mad Lib format in terms of what motivates change. And first, we want to make sure that we're focusing on what the audience has as a goal. Then you want to understand that your reason or rationale for the people not getting that, then what is the diagnosis or belief about that diagnosis, kind of the big idea of the problem you're really trying to solve? And then what's the change desired and how are you going to get there? If you follow that model, you'll have great clarity and be able to motivate people to change to the areas that you're trying to guide them. Once again, as long as you're using it for good and not evil. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show, if there's a topic you want me to cover, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.